Hello, thanks for listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. This is Adam Rosen, your host. I'm a fellowship-trained orthopedic surgeon who specializes in joint replacement. In these episodes, I'm going to share with you a lot of my tips and tricks and review classic articles and current implant designs. Thanks for tuning in and on with the show. Hello and welcome back. This is Adam Rosen. You're listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. So in today's episode, I want to start the beginning of a few um, episodes which are going to talk about total knee revision. The need or cause for revision is multifactorial and there are many, many different combinations of things that you may deal with, periprosthetic fracture, aseptic loosening, septic um, issues with infection, um, You may have uh, simple just polyethylene wear or laxity. So I'm not going to go into each specific thing, but I'm going to talk about some similar um, factors that are going to hold true to basically any revision, but specifically if you're removing implants, you know, whether or not you're going to be then putting in a spacer, uh, whether or not the implants were loose and that was the reason for revision, or whether or not there was some other issue that was resulting in you going in and taking care of this knee. Uh, But we're going to talk about all those sort of in a sequential fashion. So in today's episode, I really want to get into how you get into the knee. Um, So the approach in a virgin knee for a primary total knee replacement is a little bit more straightforward because it's healthy tissue. It hasn't been distorted. And if a knee's been in there for a while, um, due to scar tissue, prior surgery, if they've had an infection, if there's synovitis, if there's other issues going on. Um, it's not straightforward getting in there. So once we prepare to get the patient into the operating room, you know, once the leg is prepped and draped, then we're ready. So you want to define where is the old incision or incisions and when was the most recent incision to determine whether or not you can use that incision or whether or not you have to use a different incision and how big is your skin bridge going to be. So for sake of simplicity, let's say they have just a primary total knee that you're now revising, say, 15 years down the road um, due to polyethylene wear and osteolysis with potential loosening, and we're taking out implants. So for me, any time that I do a revision, as long as the skin and soft tissue envelope will allow it, I excise my old scar. I always want to have healthy tissue healing to healthy tissue. I don't want to cut through scar and then worry about drainage because I'm trying to get scar to heal back to scar. And because it's a revision, I always make big incisions. There is zero reason, in my opinion, for you to struggle during a revision. And lo and behold, if you start with a small incision, notoriously you have to lengthen it throughout the case. So if they had an old incision that was of an appropriate length, I tend to go a centimeter or two above and below And what that allows me then to do is to better define my tissue planes as I get deeper because I'm going into virgin territory in those areas above and below. So I'll mark out my incision ahead of time when I'm doing all my prepping and draping. And at this point, then I will excise the scar. So I'll go on one border of the scar. uh, And then at the next step, I get a fresh blade to then excise the other part of the scar and then pull that scar up and out. So this way it's out of the way. Um, A little trick for me, typically I'll always start my incisions for primaries and revisions with a bump underneath the knee of about eight towels. But once I make my incision on one side, by then flexing the knee up and putting the knee up into hyperflexion, it puts the rest of the skin on tension. And then you can use a small pair of pickups or adsins to help hold the scar 
and excise the scar on the opposite edge of that border. You just want to be aware, especially if they have a very wide scar, that again, the soft tissue will allow you to close end to end at the end of the case. So once I've exposed um, and taken out the scar, then we're going to move on with the next few steps. So at this point, typically with a primary, it's quite easy to identify your extensor mechanism. But notoriously, when you go into a revision, everything is scarred down. So by making that incision a little bit proximal and distal, what I find at that point is I can better identify the healthy virgin tissue. And at this point, then I know the depth of what I'm aiming for. If somebody has left you ethabond, it's kind of the golden highway in orthopedics. So this way you can see that green mark of those sutures, and that really helps you define, oh, this is where the arthrotomy was before. This is the plane that I'm going to. But before you identify the plane and then make the arthrotomy, the thing that I do at this point is make sure that I expose. I do not create a large amount of dead space, but I make sure I expose about a centimeter on both sides of where the arthrotomy is going to be because at the end of this big case, you're probably going to be tired and you're going to be closing the wound. And you want to make sure that you can truly identify the medial side and the lateral side so you have a good arthrotomy closure. So once I've exposed the medial and lateral aspects of where my arthrotomy is going to be, then I make my actual arthrotomy. So if they have old sutures, you may cut through the sutures. It's great to use a fresh blade at this point, like a fresh 10 blade. I find if they have old sutures trying to use the bovi, it's very difficult to cut through that stuff. Um, but once you make your arthrotomy in whatever way you do, now you're going to find that there's this huge, thick, deep synovial membrane. Worse if they have advanced synovitis or infection, especially if they've had multiple surgeries, but that area is going to be quite thick. So you want to get in there and expose your arthrotomy from proximal to distal, and again, paying close attention to your soft tissue, especially distally, so that you will allow yourself a nice thick flap at the end to have a good arthrotomy closure so that there is no drainage. And then at this point, the next thing I do is almost very similar to my regular type of um, exposure for a primary is I'll stick my finger in, let's say this is for a right knee. Um, I'll get my finger just over the patellar tendon above the tibial tubercle and kind of pull it back towards me with my left hand. And then I'll release a little of the tissue off of the anterior tibia. I find this helps me expose the medial side before I do my medial release. And it also takes some of the tension off the extensor mechanism. So at this point, then we'll place a little two-prong rake and then put the knee into flexion and a little bit of varus, and then you're going to expose a medial soft tissue flap. Depending on the laxity or lack thereof and how much exposure you need, make a, a small release, a medium release, or a big release. Typically for most revisions, I find that due to exposure reasons, you tend to need a bigger exposure and release here than you would typically. And again, the further you get around the back, the more ability you'll have to externally rotate the tibia and sublux the tibia forward. But once you've made your appropriate medial release, then I place the leg into extension. And typically for my primary, this is where I'm just excising a little synovium above the femur to allow me for sizing later to see that aspect. But at this point, I do a pretty extensive synovectomy. So whether or not, obviously, if they have an infection, you're doing an extensive synovectomy anyway. But even for polyethylene wear, just a revision for loosening, this synovium does tend to get in the way. So what I'll use is typically cokers or uh, prongs to open up, and I'll work on the medial side first. You really need to look and identify where does the synovium start and end, and where does the actual tendon or extensor mechanism start and end. Because once you can identify that, you can come below the extensor mechanism medially, 
And superiorly, you can come around the fold of the synovium and basically almost skeletonize onto the femur. And you may leave a little bit of healthy-looking synovium on the bone itself, but you can start from proximal and work your way distal. You need to pay very close attention to where the MCL is to make sure that you're coming in front of the medial collateral ligament at its insertion on the medial epicondyle so you don't damage that but you can take off the synovium because you're going to need that exposure later to see your femur. So you can take everything off in the gutter and the medial femur and anything that's on the extensor mechanism that's going to get in the way of visualization or inhibit your ability to close the arthrotomy well at the end. Once you've done the medial side, I remove those retractors and then move on to the lateral side. And again, a lot of times this can be quite tight. Um, so one of the tricks, and I'll talk specifically about how to do it later, but one of the tricks now is if you have trouble seeing the lateral side as part of that soft tissue release, you can take the polyethylene insert out now. Um, and we'll talk about specifically how to do that uh, in the next section. But if you do have to take it out or not, then what I'm doing, again, is exposing the lateral side. Again, identifying the quad tendon. Um, identifying where the synovium starts and stops and excise that synovium off the extensor mechanism below the quad tendon, down into the gutter, off the femur, again, paying attention to the lateral collateral and its insertion on the lateral epicondyle. You want to get into the gutter and anything below the patellar tendon, which may inhibit your ability to visualize the knee. At this point, you've essentially exposed most of the bony aspects Usually there's a large synovial membrane over top of the patellar button with just a little eye peeking out. Um, so you can expose that if you need to and take off what you need. It's rare in my experience to really have to take off the patella. Usually you know if it's loose um, and if it's significantly worn, you may take it off. Obviously you're going to remove it if you're dealing with an infection. Um, but for a lot of revisions, even though you may have femoral tibial loosening or su significant polyethylene wear, on the tibial insert, usually the patella button is okay, um, but you can expose that more and remove that if needed or necessary. Now, one of the tricks that I use um, on my primaries, which I believe just helps tilt the patella up out of the way, is just releasing some of the tissue off of the lateral aspect of the patella. If you need to visualize it better, just basically untilt it. So while you're looking at it from above, you can see it. Um, and then you can also tuck it in there. Now there are some tricks that you can do early on that if you need better exposure, you can actually do a lot of release or you can actually invert um, the patella depending on the, the tightness of the extensor mechanism and how much exposure you need. But at this point, we've essentially made our arthrotomy, done our synovectomy, made our medial releases, and kind of expose the extensor mechanism. So next step, um, at this point, we're going to go on to remove the polyethylene insert. So obviously, if they have a cruciate retaining or cruciate substituting insert, this is usually quite easy. You know, just basically get your, um, your tool from your company, um, or what most commonly is easiest is just using a, an osteotome and knocking that polyethylene insert out. You want to be aware with old implants, you know, is do they have a special tab that went in or some of the newer implants that have screws? You want to be aware of what implant you're dealing with because you may need a particular screwdriver to get the screw out or a tab may have to come out. But if the locking mechanism is built in, you can just knock that out. Okay, now what about a posterior stabilized insert? So let's say that the knee is extremely tight and you're having difficulty flexing the knee to get the tibia sublux to get the posterior stabilized insert out. Well, you can take a saw um, or an osteotome if it's sharp enough and just knock the post off. So basically, if you cut the post off 
and the post comes out, essentially you have a cruciate retaining insert and then you can pop the cruciate retaining insert out. Well, what if you have an RP and you have this rotating platform and the big cone is inside the tibia? Well, again, what you can do is you can use a little TPS saw or a small osteotome, get it above the tibial base plate, um, but below the actual polyethylene insert, and then just hit it hard enough to cut it off. And this way you're going to remove the polyethylene insert and the cone portion of the rotating platform is still inside the tibia. You'll get that out later, but this will allow you to remove the polyethylene insert to decrease your extension gap and flexion gap and make your knee a little looser for you to expose the knee. So at this point, typically I'll flex the knee up. But if the knee is tight, you have to be aware and you have to be cautious with your extensor mechanism. So a couple options. Simplest option is just extend your arthrotomy up. You may have to go further up the quad to release it. Let's say it's tight, but not tight that it's going to damage things, but you're afraid that you may be at risk of the patellar tendon. Some people will actually use a staple, and you can put a staple in, um, or use a spiked washer with a screw to protect it. The other thing which I find works really, really nice is a large bone tenaculum, because what you can do is actually, if you've done your medial release, you can put the tenaculum around the tibia, so you're kind of going around the medial side to the posterior side. And then actually using the bone tenaculum in the front at the patellar tendon insertion just above the tubercle and clamp it down. And it just protects your patellar tendon um, from potentially being volsed off during the procedure. Other options, you need to be aware of, do you need to do a quad snip? Um, do you need to do a turn down? So all things that you need to keep in your head in your bag of tricks that if you get in there and things are really tight, what may you have to do to prevent an injury. Obviously, we don't want to do it if we don't have to, but I use the analogy, it's quite similar to an ETO and a hip revision, that you know people are sometimes are afraid to do an osteotomy, but we know that if it protects you from damaging the femur by tra trying to take out a well-fixed stem, it is a safer alternative. So although we may not want to do a quad snip um, or turn down, you may do that to prevent an avulsion off the tibial tubercle. You know, the other last option of resort, in, in my opinion, is actually doing a tubercle osteotomy and letting the bone hinge open so then you can repair the bone back to the bone at the end of the case. So at this point, we flex the knee up so we have exposure. Um, and then I typically go to the femur first once I've removed the polyethylene insert. So lots of options. Um, you can use a small TPS saw. Um, you can use a small little pencil tip burr. You can use a giggly saw. All options. Um, me, in my hands, I just do it with a flexible osteotome. So I start up top and I start medially typically. So I'll do my anterior flange and making sure that I come across the anterior flange as far as I can. Um, and then I go to the anterior chamfer. And then I go to the distal aspect on the medial side. This is where you need to know your implant. You know, is there a peg there that you're going to hit? Um, and if it is, you need to work around that and then posterior chamfer. And then the difficult thing is really getting the posterior cut between that and the implant. And it's where you will typically pull bone off if you're not careful, but you have to be very cautious of the collateral ligaments and make sure you have enough flexibility and you may need to manipulate the knee or your retractor to get back there. Before you go on to the lateral side, the question is, do I have a cruciate retaining knee or a posterior stabilized knee? Is the box open? Is the notch open? Because can I get 
the other aspect of the medial stuff from the notch? Um, and can I start on the lateral side through the notch? This is a useful option in a cruciate retaining design. In the box or the notch is open, you can get through there with the osteotome. Next, I'll remove the retractors medially and move everything over laterally. Again, using that mobile window philosophy because typically these are tight to begin with. And at this point, now you have retractors laterally. You may need to flex or extend the knee to get exposure at the dis di different aspects of the femur. Um, but again, I'll work up superiorly, get the anterior flange, anterior chanfer, distal, lateral condyle distal, um, posterior chamfer laterally. And again, that really posterior cut, this is the more difficult one to get. And at this point, you've hopefully opened the whole thing up. Then if you've done a really good job and it's really loose, you may start to see it knock off. You can use an offset punch and basically knock it off from above, but you do not hit it as hard as you can. So if it started to come off, you can hit it and tap it. If it starts to move, that's great. It should come off easy. But if you start to hit it and it's stuck on one side or the other, it starts to hinge into varus or valgus, just know that you're still adherent on one side or the other. So instead of hitting it harder, go back and work that side which is still attached to bone and try to preserve as much bone as possible. The other alternative is if you know the system and you have an extraction device, you can use the extraction device or one of the new universal extraction devices and put it on the fever and hit it off. But again, if you're hitting it off or using the slap hammer, start gently. And if you see it still stuck somewhere, take off the extractor, go back and work that area again to try to preserve as much bone as possible. So once you get the femur off, I then go on to the tibia if we're taking the tibia off. So especially if you have a posterior stabilized design, you got a big hole. So you want to protect that area, usually with a lap to get things out. Um, there's a few instruments in the market. I actually designed one that I like, which is a two-pronged PCL retractor, but it has a posterior buildup to fill in that box. I still use a lap to protect the bone, but this way it allows me and it gives me a lever arm to then sublux the tibia forward. Before I start to expose and remove the tibia, I take a look to see, is there anything that I can do again to improve my exposure? You may have to go a little further posterior immediately. If it was a cruciate retaining design, you may have to release a little of the cruciate if it's still there. Sometimes even posterior capsular tension, just a little couple millimeters off the back of the tibia, medially or laterally, allows that whole tibia to sublux forward. And then laterally, if there's a lot of soft tissue, which over has overgrown, you may put a retractor in there and remove some of that tissue. So for my tibia, what I typically do is I'll typically start it again with a flexible osteotome. And it's important to understand, you know, do you have spikes? Is it cemented? Is it press fit? Is there a keel? Where is the keel? Where can you get access to the tibia? So you need to understand the geometry of the tibial base plate, but I'll start across the front, typically going up to the fin or the peg or the post, what I have on the tibia. And I work my way as far laterally as I can across the front. And you can really angle from the anterior medial across the front of the tibia, but you need to be aware of your patellar tendon. Um, this is where small, very narrow osteotomes are useful because if you have a wide one, it may stick out and you could damage the tendon. And then you want to get posterior. Most tibial base plates will have a cutout. So the question also then is, can you get in there and use the osteotome to get especially that posterior lateral corner? That's the area where it's really difficult. And I find a lot of times people will leave bone attached to the implant. So if you can get around the posterior medial aspect of the tibia. Sometimes with a long enough blade, you can go across that, that area and get over to the lateral side. 
The other option is sometimes you can kind of scoop in front of where the PCL would be and get to it that way. But you want to do your best to really get in there. Um, once you've kind of opened that up as best as you can with the osteotome, the other option would be using a really thin type of TPS blade. Some people like a giggly saw if you can slip it around the back, but whatever little instrument you use to open that up as much as possible. The next thing that I tend to do is I'll get a set of flat osteotomes and I tend to use a really small one laterally and I'll put that in until I hit the keel or the post, and I'll use a really wide one from the center to the medial aspect, hit that in, and then I just give a couple um, hard whacks from below, hitting both of those osteotomes, and most of the time it usually comes up. Again, like the femur, that if it doesn't want to come up because it is attached at one area or the other, stop, hit it back down, go back and see if you can break up that tibial interface where the bone is and try to preserve the bone as best as possible, but then remove it. Now, if you know the system and you have a nice extraction device, that also makes it easier because you can put the extraction device on and then you can use a slap hammer to pull it out. But again, be cautious. The first time you don't pull as hard as you can, pull it up and make sure is the thing coming out cleanly? Is the distal femur clear so you're not going to knock off a condyle? And then you can get this up and out of the way. Now, at this point, you know, you've had your femur off, you've had your tibia off, and now you're exposing the bone. I don't typically spend a lot of time at this point kind of picking out all the cement. I see a lot of people at this point, your eye kind of fixates on this cement, and a lot of people spend a lot of time kind of picking out all these little pieces of cement everywhere. The reason I don't do that now is because you're going to make a freshening cut. You're going to make a cut on your distal femur. You're going to make a cut on your tibia when the time comes, and you're going to remove all that stuff. So once you make the freshening cut, if there is cement left over, then I will remove it. The thing that I will do at this point, though, is specifically in the tibia, is I will look and see, is there a cement plug? And I will work on getting that out from above. So it's really, really important at this point so you can get your IM devices in so you can ream and open that area up. So I will work from above and get that bone plug out and take the stuff out of the center of the tibia, but I will not go crazy on taking every little piece of cement off the femur and off the tibia at this point. Um, now, just a little aside um, backing up as far as somebody might be thinking at this point, well, what about, did you aspirate or take cultures? Okay, so if I know they're infected, um, I will probably already know that because if I suspect that someone's infected in the office or in the hospital, I've already sent off fluid, but I will take additional um, fluid and tissue cultures at the time. The reason that I do that is I like to know going in um, if they have an infection or I suspect they have an infection. I like to know, do they or do they not? So if someone's sed rate or CRP is elevated, I try to aspirate them in the office. And this way I know going in, white blood cell counts high, positive cultures. I know what I'm dealing with so I can use the appropriate antibiotics in my spacer or give them appropriate antibiotics. If I suspect that someone is just having polyethylene wear, aseptic loosening, and I've done as part of my workup a normal sed rate and CRP, no other clinical signs of infection, I do not routinely go in and take fluid samples and cultures and send them off to the lab. Why? I do not want to see a false positive or a contaminant and then complicate issues. However, um, there's a lot of studies that have shown that you know, surgeon's judgment is very important. So if I have a normal sed rate and CRP, but when I'm in there, things don't look right, then I will take fluid 
and I will take tissue and culture, but always take at least three and always take an odd number. So it's very useful to get the fluid just prior to making the arthrotomy, aspirate the knee, send it off for cell count, always send it off for crystals, always send it off for culture, aerobic, anaerobic, holding for 14 days so you can look for P acnes. And if you are concerned, AFB and fungus, I routinely send all four just because I've seen some weird things over the years. We get a lot of weird referrals. So I always make sure that I rule those things out. So that's my fluid sample. And the reason that you don't just send that is let's say it comes back with a contaminant with staph epi, rare staph epi. Is it infected or is it not? You know, do you go back in if you are planning on just doing a revision for aseptic loosening and you only took that one culture? Do you put them on six weeks of antibiotics? So I always like to take at least three, preferably five or seven, depending on my suspicions. Um, so I will take fluid and then I'll typically take something from the femur and the notch. I'll take something from the tibia and the notch. I'll t- typically send the synovium. If I ream the femoral tibial canal, send those reamings. Again, usually looking for the area that looks the most suspicious, but always an odd number, at least three, preferably five. Occasionally, um, if I have a strange suspicion, I may send seven if it looks really questionable. Uh, And this way, if you do get one kind of uh, contaminant and you get this rare staph epi, cell counts normal, two other cultures are negative, I would write that off as a contaminant. However, even if it's rare, two out of three, four out of five, three out of five, you know, then you have to start wondering, yeah, even though it says rare, maybe this really is an infection. Um, so th- those are my kind of thoughts on fluid, but I don't routinely send it off on everybody if they have no real clinical signs and symptoms of infection, normal sed rate, normal CRP, nothing looks suspicious at the time of surgery. So that's sort of the approach and removal of implants in a nutshell. Um, so again, the approach, excise the old scar if the soft tissue envelope will allow. Expose your extensor mechanism so you can close it well at the end of the case. Make your arthrotomy. Make your lateral kind of soft tissue release of the extensor mechanism and then your medial release deep as you need to based on the knee. And then you're going to do your full synovectomy and then expose your extensor mechanism flexing the knee up, deciding do you need to protect the tubial tubercle or do something for the quad to protect it from damaging something. Um, And then I always address the femur. If it is extremely tight, you can remove the poly first. Um, Once I remove the femur, then I assess the tibia, then I remove the tibia, and don't chase the cement that you see all over the bone. Wait until you make your bone cuts. But then I will address the cement in the tibial canal. Um, in the next episode, we're going to talk, talk more about identifying um, your joint line uh, and then the cuts that I make and what I use as sort of landmarks and how I do my balancing, sizing, and rotation um, in the midst of doing a full revision of both components. Thanks for listening. Um, If you've found this information to be helpful, please pass it on to your other residents, fellows, colleagues, friends. Um, If you do have the time, it's really helpful um, for me and for other people like you to find this. If you could leave a rating, if you enjoy um, what you've been listening to. And again, if you have specific topics that I have not covered that you would like to hear my two cents on what I do in those situations, um, please shoot me a message. I'm happy to add those into the upcoming episodes. Until next time, I'm Adam Rosen. You've been listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast.
You've been listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. Make sure that you're subscribed so you'll be notified of future episodes. And please take the time to leave a review. It helps other people like you find the show. Until next time, stay safe.